Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome to today's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast with Owen McDevitt here and Kieran Murphy. Hello there, Owen. Hi, Kieran. I'd like you, I'd like you, Kieran. I'd like our listeners to cast, if everyone could just cast your mind back to last November. We interviewed Eamon Dunphy about his autobiography, The Rocky Road. Do you remember this? Yeah, right, chapter about yeah, his yeah. start in journalism and various issues. That book brings the reader up to the 1990 World Cup. And right at the end of the chat, I asked Eamon what the second volume of his story was going to be called. Because he, mm. he, he decided there was too much for one book. He's bringing out two. And he replied, wrong about everything. <laughs> if, <laughs> it was funny then, and it's still funny now. If Eamon doesn't mind, I'm going to steal that title to describe my pre-World Cup analysis of Spain's chances. Here were mm. my predictions, Murph. Okay. Prediction. They will romp to a fourth major tournament victory in a row. Okay. Reality. They're out after two games with a goal difference as bad as Ireland's at this stage of Euro 2012. It's, it's eerily similar to Ireland's performance at Euro 2012. Prediction, Xabi has one more big tournament left in him. <laughs> Reality, Xabi waddled around the pitch like an old man against Holland and played no part against Chile. Mm. Prediction, Iniesta will show the world he's still in his prime. Actually, reality there is that I think Iniesta did okay. Yeah. If he had a better striker in front of me, he would have had a number of assists. Yeah. He yeah. had a couple of shots ago. So I'm going to call my analysis wrong about almost everything. Yeah, and the thing you were right about was kind of... <laughs> Tenuous enough. Yeah, no. Yes, well, it wasn't as bad as some of the rest of them. That's, Iniesta might have been Spain's best player. But he was still nothing like the player that <laughs> you were predicting him to be. Yeah, really... Um, you really stank it out on you. You stunk the joint out. as bad a tournament as uh, Spain so far. I didn't... I know how it's very sad, as people keep saying. Sad in a sporting sense. Let's just keep yeah. this in perspective. Uh, and... Even in that, I don't know quite how sad it is. It's it's incredible that a team can win three tournaments in a row and ultimately it came to an end. It w- certainly would have been, in some ways, better to see them go out in a blaze of glory, but maybe it's no harm this definitive full stop being yeah. put down on this team. And I don't know if it's on the style. Everyone keeps saying that their youth teams play the same way as the teams that the senior team plays. So maybe they just need to tweak it and to have better younger players uh, better is maybe the wrong word but players who are better able to carry out that yeah. role now because it's all based 
primarily is aside from the possession and all that kind of thing, it's all based on serious fitness and serious work ethic and serious pressing, which I just can't do anymore. Yeah, and I think uh, I think what we need to start talking about now is who the hell is actually going to win this thing because I don't have a clue. <laughs> no, um, like the Germans are probably the best team we've seen, but they're like they're question marks over a lot of teams, so many teams, you know. Uh, the Germans, the question mark is from previous tournaments, in fairness, because they were very good against Portugal. Like, after that, Argentina, second half, they were good. I mean, like, that's the brilliant thing about it. Yeah. And we've had loads of brilliant football. You couldn't say yet that we've seen, you know, four likely winners of the tournament that I really hope come up against each other. You know, I, like As in, like, there's four teams playing brilliantly that look like they're way ahead of everyone else. And, like, okay, the winner's definitely going to come from them. Like, we know, in fairness, where the winners are going to come from, but none of them are playing all that well at the moment. Like, I would say Italy, our team, I wouldn't have thought have much of a chance of winning the World Cup. After seeing the first round of games, Yeah, I actually think they have a pretty good chance. And it's funny, the even the whole dark horse concept opens up a little bit here. It's something that I never buy into because mm. the World Cup has been played since 1930 and a dark horse, I, I think I'm going to state now, has never won it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's something that generally doesn't happen. But now, all of a sudden, you're looking at Chile and going, maybe. Belgium, not great the other night against Algeria, yeah. but maybe this could be the tournament that opens up for them. Not forgetting Holland, who, of course, wouldn't be a dark horse, but yeah. they've had two spectacular victories in different ways so far. And yet, can you rely on Holland? Yeah. I, I mean, if you, so. if you offered anyone in the world, right, you take Brazil, Spain, uh, Germany, Argentina, and I'll take the other 28, yeah. everyone would say, right, I'll take those four teams. Now, I'm not so sure. That's good, but we're not. We're still having. We're we're still not seeing like hugely dominant teams that we could be sure right they'll get to the semi final or final. That's what's brilliant about That's it. That's what's brilliant about it. Yeah, yeah. so far, yeah. hopefully, it doesn't end up being what it drags it back maybe towards the latter rounds but no it's been great so far two shows for you today our World Cup podcast will be out a little bit later and Ken is going to join us shortly from Fortaleza to tell you what to expect from that one and this show will feature plenty of World Cup chat too Murph I know Brian Murphy US Murph has mm. been following the adventures of his national side I don't know if people follow him on Twitter you, you really should. should he's yes. very good it's at KNBR Murph KNBR is his radio station so at KNBR Murph and uh, he live tweeted the entire USA game and it gave us many laughs uh, because it was the U.S. experience of football in microcosm. Uh, after after whatever, one minute of the game, Instagol, just add Clint Dempsey, hashtag USMNT. Uh, then uh, after the late goal that won it for them, yeah, that's the country that produced fictional character Rocky Balboa right there, taking the lead 2-1, that is, if Rocky's fictional. And uh, then at the very end of the game, uh, bodies dropping all over the turf, dominated for the entire second half. Somehow, US beats Ghana 2-1 on a wing, prayer, and huge nads. <laughs> huge nads. <laughs> word. I, haven't heard, I haven't, just haven't heard that word used in quite yeah. a long time on any sort of broadcast. Yeah. There you go. He, uh, and obviously, he's a big uh, US men's national team fan, mm-hmm. but he's also a big uh, Italian fan because his mother is Italian. And if Ireland were there, he'd be supporting them as well, as he's told us on uh, Twitter. But uh, the last two people Brian Murphy followed on Twitter, at Azuri, the official Italian football uh, Twitter account, and Alessandro Del Piero. <laughs> <laughs> so he's coming late to it, but uh, he's getting there. We're going to start by looking ahead to the Kilkenny Galway game in the Lenser Hurling Championship this weekend. It is the first time the two sides have faced each other in the championship since the All Ireland replay in 2012, I believe, Murph, I attended both of those games with you. I certainly attended the replay with you. I remember it well because you still have painful memories. I remember I how crushed you were that day as a Galway man because yeah. you lost the game, of course. Well, I, I, I had a terrible day. 
I had a really, really bad day. But the hurling was, I would say, about 35% of it uh, because I was actually sitting, you remember this one, it was sitting in a seat uh, directly behind a prominent and well-known Irish businessman, Bobby Kerr. Sure. And uh, he's from Kilkenny and he was wearing a Kilkenny cowboy hat, uh, <laughs> which kind of annoyed me, to be honest. I mean, I, it, those cowboy hats are of very questionable quality to start with. When you say cowboy hat? I mean, it was it felt, some sort of felt material with the... With bla- the Kilkenny banners. With the Kilkenny, yeah, yeah, the black and amber kind of uh, he- headband or... He- uh, uh, yeah, headband around the, the rim there. Sure, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, he was, he was dressed casually, you know, a pair of jeans, T-shirt. And uh, the jeans, they didn't, for whatever reason, there was an issue with the jeans. They weren't around the hips. You know, you want to wear your jeans around the hips. And if you want to go for the low, low slung look, then you got to make sure that your underpants, you know, are redress, quite high. Yeah, redress the. What I'm trying to say here is Bobby, <laughs> Bobby Kerr didn't have the low, he had the low slung, but he didn't then redress the balance with the underpants. I would have thought a man of his age would just be wearing jeans on his hips anyway. That's just as I do. Um, anyway, as the game went on, the jeans continued to go. But sad. particularly when the celebrations with every, were happening. Basically, with every goal, and you may remember, Kilkenny got quite a few goals, uh, the jeans appreciably lowered <laughs> with every goal. So basically, by the time Walter Walsh got his goal in the second <laughs> half, that you know really stuck the knife into the Galway hurlers, I was faced with an almost, well, an apocalyptic vista, effectively, directly in front of me. And uh, that, Owen, is actually my main memory of an All-Ireland final featuring my own county, which... That, that takes doing. We're delighted now to have eight-time All-Ireland winner Michael Kavanagh from Kilkenny on the show and Malachy Clerken of the Irish Times is with us in the studio. Malachy, thanks for popping down. No All-Ireland winner on this side of the microphone. In, in any sort of uh, sphere? Uh, I came 13th in the community games pitch and putt. Don't, don't, don't think that's <laughs> don't, a winner. Uh, if we Certainly not in, in, in Kilkenny language as 13th no. is definitely Don't take it away from me, man. Now, last time these two counties played each other in championship was the All-Ireland replay in 2012. Um, could it be argued that Galway, that set Galway back so much that they've never really recovered? <laughs> I, um, I think it's hard to, 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 to say that it set Galway back. I, I remember at the time, somebody um, after the, the replay, somebody writing, who, what would have been the better scenario, that Joe Canning actually missed the equalising free in the replay and they went away... In the first game. In the first game. Or, sorry, yeah, in the first game, not the replay. And that they went away with a one-point defeat after, a, a, you know, a decent season rather than a kind of a hiding in the, in the replay. I don't know if it, if it set them back. I think the... the I know you, you had Sean Walsh on on a, on a previous uh, show where he was talking about why is it that, that the whole country sort of assumes that Galway are contenders? And the reason that people assume that Galway are contenders is because every once in a while there is that performance from the Leinster final in 2012. Mm. Um, but maybe he's right, you know. Maybe, maybe the sort of the mean is that they're a bit below everybody else. It, it, it's hard to know. When, when they show up every once in a while with a phenomenal performance, you kind of... And, and because there's so few counties that you know really compete you kind of you kind of wish them to be maybe better than they are but you know maybe they're just not maybe yeah. they, maybe maybe they are a couple of levels below well it's worth considering michael do you see galway as contenders yeah well of course galway um down the years and nearly always been tipped as contenders and 
uh, people have nearly, uh, the latter years have nearly gone away from it. I suppose since 2012, they probably haven't drove on. Um, people thought they might be coming with a nice settled team and uh, 2013 was a difficult year for them and they went down the bout out of the championship um, pretty easy against Clare. So uh, it was an important year again for Galway, but uh, I think people are, are, are losing a bit of patience with them, drawing fans and I suppose people are not tipping them as much, but Galway are typically Galway and they can uh, pull performances out of the hat and uh, as they've done against Kilkenny down the years and other teams. But it's just that consistency um, that they're they're not delivering on a regular basis. And it's funny because I would have thought that that was the one area where they should improve as soon as they arrived in Leinster, that they were getting these games every year. It wasn't just uh, turning up in an All-Ireland semi-final. So I, I, thought, I thought consistency maybe might be Maybe it's consistency is harder to get. And you'd know as a, as a Kilkenny man that um, maybe we underappreciate what the likes of Kilkenny have done over the years in being so consistent year in, year out, because Galway just don't seem to have that. Yeah, it's something um, that's really been missing, and I suppose it's uh, the Galway fans, uh, I suppose, it's tested their patience on numerous occasions. Um, but, like, with introduction to Leinster and the regular kind of hurling, they're playing Division 1A, they're playing um, the, Nas- the National they're playing the National League, they're playing the Leinster Championship. You- you'd imagine that people would be getting more regular game time on a more consistent basis, and you, you would have hoped that would have kind of maybe brought them on. I suppose for a long time they were out in the, out in the limb, really playing in Connacht on their own. But since their introduction in 2009, like, they've only returned one Leinster Championship uh, victory. Uh, and they haven't just getting to the All Ireland in 2012. I suppose they could have got over the line the first day, maybe you can Kenny. But since then, you know they're flattered to deceive, and you know there's, there's still a lot of question marks over over this Galway outfit. And everyone knows they've got some great talented individuals, but collectively they don't seem to be able to get it together. Yeah, they, I mean they've they've uh, held on to most of their big performances in the, la- in the last number of years strictly for Kilkenny. And it's strange that, say, we the Kilkenny-Offaly relationship we saw in pretty stark uh, reality in the first round of the Leinster Championship this year. How do Kilkenny people feel about this? Because there is obviously, maybe there is um, an understanding that, or a frustration even amongst Kilkenny people that Gola just can't get any consistency. But at the same time, there must also be a fear that, God, when these guys have played well over the last 10 years, it's mostly been against us. Yeah, look, uh, there's no doubt about it. Galway can raise their game, you know, and once things got start going well from them, they are a fantastic outfit, you know, and we've seen that in 2012 in Leinster finally, really, uh, Pukki Kenny to the pin of their collar. But uh, I suppose going back since Brian Cody took over in, in 99, like Kenny, I think, has played uh, Galway in 11 games since then, and Kenny have came out winning seven of those, and Galway uh, beat Kenny in three occasions, 2001, 2005. And 2012, um, so I suppose Kilkenny probably had the upper hand on him um, as well in that period, but uh, Kilkenny supporters and Kilkenny uh, people alike know that Galway are capable of uh, producing those kind of performances where they have kind of turned off Kilkenny. But uh, again, I suppose that's why they would trade carefully going into the game on Sunday in Tullamore um, because everyone knows what Galway are capable of. But it's just a consistency. And I suppose even if you're looking back over this year, Kilkenny have already played them three times this year in the World Cup, in the league, in the league semi-final. Like Kilkenny have came out victorious in all occasions, you know. So um, Galway are in a small bit of transition, you know. They seem to have uh, a lot of change in their, in their team again this year, personnel in, in the spine of the team. Um, and they also kind of struggled to flatter to deceive in, in their victory over Leash. That record of the goal we have is still probably quite respectable. <laughs> only only losing seven out of the eleven games, but <laughs> isn't too bad. But Malachi, talk to us about Kilkenny because 
it's I, I'm not taking anything away from the performance against Offaly, which is just brilliant. And I know people say it's not great to watch one team at such a one-sided game. I I, I find it really entertaining when Kilkenny yeah. and the top, in fact, in any sport when the top team is really playing very near the peak of their powers. But there almost seems to be an assumption now Kilkenny are back. Last year's finish with they're a totally different animal this year, and that could be true. But I'm wondering, are people jumping the gun a bit? Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I, I, to go back to what you're saying, I, I'm I'm like you. I, I enjoy seeing <laughs> seeing a team do that, and and actually in somewhere like Nolan Park, where you're really tight down on the pitch. You know, when you see it in, in Croke Park, and you're you're kind of especially in the press box, you're way up in the top. It's of sanitized. The, almost, it, it, well, it, it, it's yeah, it's all kind of those cows are far away kind of thing whereas in Nolan Park you're right down beside it and actually I think Owen Larkin scored Kilkenny's first point from right down in front of us and it was just a thing of complete beauty like a completely effortless swing and it's great to see that anyway um, they yeah it, it is is obviously hard to know with Kilkenny yet um, we talk about like there he says you know Galway in, in transition I had a quick look just before we came in at the the teams that played each other in the in the 2012 Leinster final and the two teams that played for Kilkenny and Galway a fortnight ago. There's eight changes on both teams since then. Wow. So, you know, we, we say, and now some of that's down to injury, some of that's down to fellas not, uh, uh, still coming back. Um, but still, that's, an, that's, a, that's a huge turnover on both teams. And Kilkenny are absolutely just as much in transition. And we can't... We can't really say for sure whether some of the young guys, you know, Porrick Walsh looks great, you know, uh, and and he, he he does, you know, he to to the untrained eye, he looks like just the incarnation of his brother, the you know the the uh, it it the, yeah. the, the regime is going to go on for another decade, but you know, guys like Porrick Walsh haven't faced any hardship for Kilkenny yet. They, it, you know, it has been plain sailing. They did, it came through the league. They, you know, everything has been going in the right direction, and nothing has gone wrong yet. Um, Walter Walsh has been has really kind of, looks like he's really kind of blossomed from the sort of the the guy who had who had the sort of the debut from from out of heaven. He's a different player now. He's uh, you know he's a wing forward. He has to chip in with three or four points a game, and he's up for that. And he goes foraging for ball, and he's he he's coming along as well. But we don't really know an awful lot yet. Uh, about where Kilkenny are until until something goes wrong for them until they find themselves having to win a championship match with with ten minutes to go. They you know that hasn't had had to happen to some of the young guys yet. Michael, would you go along with that? Yeah, I definitely think so. Like so far, uh, everything's on the card in the plan. I suppose for Kilkenny so far this season, look, they've treated the league pretty seriously, like as they always have did under Brian Cody, and uh, they've definitely looked strengthened their panel uh, and found. Um, um, one or two quality kind of uh, personnel to add to the panel, both in starting and, and in the panel itself. Um, but there seems to be a bit more of a freshness and a hunger there within the setup. Um, I think last year, can I probably hurt him? Um, going out early in the championship uh, would be very disappointing for Kenny, but it was an opportunity for him to kind of regroup uh, and get a bit of a break as well. But they're back refreshed. I think injuries are, played a big part last year. Uh, with the squad and um, a lot of the lads went into a lot of games kind of carrying knocks or only recently back from knocks so Michael Rice at the moment is the only current long-term injury they have in the squad mm-hmm. but if they can kind of keep the injuries and keep that bit of freshness there but there's definitely uh, a lot of bigger tougher fences to be jumped yet um, the Offney game went pretty much according to plan for the lads they got a great start kick any and they really it didn't take a foot off the gas I think uh, I suppose the benefit of playing recent uh, league final game which is kind of pre-championship kind of pace 
um, to uh, in recent weeks probably Hayley Kenny more so than the likes of a uh, player that uh, went into the championship call there last week and uh, Offaly as well against like Kenny. Uh, that game was a huge benefit for sport. that league final sports was a huge benefit to Kilkenny. Um but there's definitely um, tougher tests and I suppose when, when the real pressure and the tests come on I suppose we kind of know where, where this Kilkenny team is really at I suppose both hunger wise and freshness wise and see so how the, the legs for and the stomach for another battle for another tough year ahead For all the new players that we're talking about the change over there Murph are you as excited as me to see uh, how Henry Sheffin fares this year and, and is it still a Sheffin versus Canning type of shootout? Yeah well I'm hoping he eases himself into the year uh, and maybe he can save his best for the qualifiers but that's not the Henry Shefflin way I mean it is it's a huge thing and like talking about the 2012 or our final build as Canning against Shefflin um, it still is in many ways that's still what it is there are still the two players we'll be watching most uh, on Sunday and that's a problem for Galway I don't think it's much of a problem for Kilkenny I think Shefflin uh Looked short of fitness, looked short of sharpness last year. I don't think it's been quite as disrupted this year. He did play quite a few league games this year. So I would expect him to be uh, much sharper, much quicker in this summer's championship than he was last year. But, um, Michael, I mean, you retired after the 2011 final, having won your 8th All-Ireland medal. It's 2014. Shefflin is still going. Are you as amazed as the rest of us at how he manages to keep coming back, particularly when he's been presented with so many injuries over the last say two or three years in particular uh, I'm not really much to be honest because I, I suppose I know Henry uh, pretty well and uh, I know how kind of driven and focused he is um, to be honest he would have been very disappointed last year with himself the way 2013 kind of went for himself um, with the sending off and that was rescinded all right but like he's such a, a driven and focused individual uh, and he's, he's mad uh, hungry I suppose to, to probably to, uh, to go out in the high really uh, and to try to maybe um when he's 10th All-Ireland but he's such um, a committed player and he, he would be doing a huge amount of work on his own with his own kind of fitness on his own injuries behind the scenes but he's the kind of spiritual leader of the, the Kenny team and has been for a number of years and he's their go-to man and he'd be a huge inspiration to the younger members of the panel as well but he'd be driving force there behind the thing and he'd have a great relationship with Brian Cody the man absolutely like Brian is wrapped up in Hurland he, he, he's uh, so, so passionate and loves the game um, so Henry is, is obviously trying to squeeze every last um, ounce out of it he can and um you know, he, he picked up a recent injury and he's back in the fold there trend at the moment. I'm not sure will he start the weekend against Galway. He might he might start from the bench, I suppose, from the Kilkenny attack from what they scored the last week. It'd be hard to kind of make changes. Um, and Henry's only recently back and so is Richie Power. So they'll be pushing for starting places. Mm. But this game might just come that game too soon for him. But I'd say we'd expect him to see him in action um, at the weekend, all right. But... He certainly, uh, his longevity is a testament to himself and to how he prepares and how he goes about the game. But he's he's, he's a terrific role model, and um, in Kilkenny, we're hoping that he can he can stay injury free and have a good year. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you were kind of watching the even the World Cup last night, you know, and you saw with Spain that eventually the miles catch up on people, and it's it's impossible to see it coming until. It, you know, you're watching it, God, it's obvious, you know, of course. The span, the how, span is, how is Casillas at this tournament? So <laughs> yeah, all these yeah. things that nobody was saying before. But I mean, you know, I mean, it, and that's the, I suppose that's the, you have to trust I, guys guys like Shefflin to know when to walk away um, bef- before something like that happens. Or, you know, in the same way that it, with Cody or with so many other the Kilkenny uh, experienced players. Maliki, what do you think? Yeah, like, I, th- I think what's going to be interesting uh, with Shefflin when... Uh, 
it's interesting to hear Michael say that he mightn't start on Sunday. I, I, from what I was hearing, he was training away uh, pretty full time. But but anyway, we will see some of them, and we'll obviously see him as the year goes on. What I what I'm going to find interesting is is to see Michael's exactly right. He he's still their go to guy, and we saw like if we if we if we go back to the context of Galway Kilkenny, the the drawn All Ireland in 2012. I remember writing about it at the time that this was you know this was a guy aiming for his ninth. Ninth All Ireland. Surely, you, it, the way it should have been was that all the young lads try and do it for him, and yet yeah. he was doing it for them. You know, yeah. he rescued that game. The idea would be that you win the first six or seven, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, your teammates yeah. win you the last two. <laughs> exactly, you know, <laughs> not, the, not the other way around. And so, and so, I'll be interested to see. You know, what way Kilkenny is he still the go-to guy? Is he still does does everything? Not everything, because because you know they're they so, they have been such a rounded team, and they, and they are so great. It can't all revolve around him, and yet it's so noticeable when he's on the pitch and when he's not on the pitch it's so noticeable how other players feed off him what how he sort of guards himself and you know he doesn't he takes very he takes a f- small touch here and a small touch there and a no look pass here and uh, and when and when the rhythm of the game needs upping or when it needs calming he's the one that does all of that um and I'd be interested to see is that still the case you know or or does Say TJ Reid do that now, or does Owen Larkin do that now, and, and instead of Henry having to do it all? Yeah, and there's no doubt on the Galway side that Canning is the go-to guy. It's just that they don't know where on the pitch exactly to go to him, and it still seems to be the perennial question how best to use him. I know you have a bit of a bee in your bonnet, Murph, about the free taking. He's been taken off that, and you feel that maybe that's yeah. actually a mistake. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I do. I think that Joe Canning uses like there are people who take frees who see it as an onerous responsibility that weighs down upon them and they'd be, you know they, they would play with much greater expression if they were off the freeze for me i think joe canning uses freeze as a way to get himself into the game that you know if if he has if he's barely touched the ball but he still has four points scored inside the first 20 or 25 minutes he says i'm still a factor in this game i'm still helping out the team and you know the pressure is that pressure that that he feels all the time is still being taken off if he's hitting his freeze i mean when it, it's it's so obvious for teams playing against Galway, if you stop Canning, you'll stop you'll you'll stop Galway. If if Canning hasn't scored after twenty five minutes or thirty minutes, whether that's from player from freeze, it doesn't matter. If he if there's still nothing after his name after twenty five minutes or half an hour, it's a huge boost to the other team. And Canning is getting increasingly desperate to play himself into the game. I think you give him the freeze, you let him get confidence through the freeze, and when it comes down to it, when the chance comes. He he's not saying, well, I haven't even scored yet. Maybe I should just top this over. He's going for the juggler in the way that we know he can. Yeah, it's funny though that that even now in Joe Canning's career, um, that even seems like a like a very small thing. Mm. You know, that 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 we find that they have to try and get Joe into a game, as, as and, and it comes down to the fact that if you stop him, you stop Galway. Like those are all far too small. A construct for for what Canning should be and for what Galway should be. Uh, again, you go back to that Leinster final in two thousand and twelve. Ask people where did Joe Canning play that day, and somebody will say, "Oh, well, he played full forward because he scored that he great got goal." He got the the edge of the square, yeah. But he didn't. He ran everywhere that day, and the Galway attack was set up so that he was moving one way, Cyril Donnan was going another, David Burke was going another, Niall Burke was going another. It, they they moved and they just uh, rotated. And were a completely well-functioning, well-thought-out, well-properly-game-planned attack. 
if we reduce it all down to whether he should play in midfield or whether he should play on the 40 or whether he should play on the edge of the square and funnel all of Galway down to how do we get the best out of Joe Canning, then you're, I think it, it ignores the sort of the wider picture yeah. of why can't, why can't Galway be a six forward attack with getting scores from everywhere? Why do we have to, why do we have to take care of Joe and make sure that he gets a few frees yeah. in the first 20 minutes? And yet yeah, that does yeah. seem to be the case. Michael, I don't know if you're going out there as a Kilkenny defender, are you, th- are you thinking if we get our matchup right on Joe Canning here or more to the point if we cut off supply, get him to areas of the pitch where he can't damage us, if we stop Joe Canning, we do stop Galway, would that be the Kilkenny mindset? Um, to be honest, it wouldn't. Um, I suppose like with Joe Canning, it's very hard to plan uh, because you're not too sure where he's going to be playing. Kenny wouldn't have uh, pinpointed anyone probably to mark him in the past. Uh, Brian Cody would have trust in all, in all his defenders and wherever Joe might pop up, whether it be wing forward or, or full forward or corner forward, he'd, he'd expect the, the, the defender in that position to pick up Joe Canning and to look after him. And as the game pans out, then if needs to change around his defence, he will do that. He'll alter it. He may put a man marker or something on, on Joe Canning. But it's something that actually Kenny wouldn't be planning their defence around Joe Canning, you know, to just get on with it. Because I suppose in this day and age, you, you just don't know what teams, when teams are named, you don't know where players are going to line out. And there's so much rotation and movement within the forwards these days. Um, certainly, uh, you know, it's something that we wouldn't uh, have pinpointed or worked our game plan around Joe Canning. It's interesting, yeah. So does, does Cody not go so much for matchups? Because we saw Jimmy Barry Murphy, who is, uh, I'm going to loosely throw him in with Brian Cody here, as he's seen as more of a, an old school manager who's not quite as obsessed as the likes of David Fitzgerald with tactics but it did seem quite clear that the matchups certainly in defence for Cork were, were were done very there was a lot of thought put into them and Cork got them right but you're saying that Cody doesn't necessarily even do that? Not necessarily you know um, I know for the for the the, um, the All-Ireland against Galway the drawn game yeah. um I, think, I suppose Kenny were probably preoccupied with the, the Leinster final and how Galway kind of rotated and moved in that. But for the replay, I think they went back for more traditional kind of defence where they all kind of held their positions. Brian Hogan held centre-back, uh, JJ Lenny held full-back, and they weren't pulled and dragged as much all over the field. Uh, traditionally, uh, Kenny don't go a huge amount into changing their tactics or changing their defence. You know, they usually kind of get on with the job and see how the game kind of pans out. Um, and I suppose this day and age, I suppose it's it's probably seven man defenders and stuff like that. It can be very hard to kind of make plans, and, and sometimes the plans can kind of go out the window as well uh, once championship kind of uh, uh, game kind of kicks off. But um, Brian would kind of adjust accordingly then as the game kind of pans out and to see if there's, if there's anyone kind of getting on top in any certain sectors. I guess the moral of that, Maggie, is if you have your defensive unit solid enough, then you should be able to handle whoever's handling it, should be able to handle their main man. I guess so, and uh, sometimes teams can help you out as well. It's funny, Michael mentions uh, seven-man defences. Galway set up with a seven-man, or not Galway, Offaly set up with a seven-man defence the last day, and all it did was make uh, Paul Murphy the best player on the pitch because he had, no, he had nobody to mark in the Kilkenny back line. He just cleared everything. Um, but yeah, it's, it, you know, it, it, that is interesting, especially uh, in that, you know, in certain All-Ireland finals, um, Kilkenny, however, whether they, they, they sort out their, their matchups in defence, they've managed to get Henry Shefflin playing on the least experienced defender of the opposition uh, in, the, in, mm. in their, in their matchups in a couple of All Ireland finals. So. <laughs> the fourth four can do their own thing up there. Yeah. <laughs> all right, listen, I've got to ask you for predictions. Are we all thinking Kilkenny will do this, Michael? 
Yeah, look, I suppose if you're looking at form from the league and so far this year, uh, Leash, or Galway kind of struggled over Leash. Obviously, look, there'll be huge uh, improvement in him, but uh, I think they'll have to really step it up and things will have to go very well for him uh, to come out on the right side on Sunday. But uh, on form, and I suppose the way he can, he uh, looks again awfully and in the league final against Hip and so far to date. Um, and I suppose there is a nice bit of competition in the squad as well, and uh, players are still kind of playing for places as well. I think Kenny should have enough of the tank to, to kind of to move on, hopefully, to Leinster final. Malky? Well, if 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 per people like like Murph, you know, the worst thing about Galway is that you can people like Murph can't rely on them to win. No, the worst thing for the rest of us who try and predict things is we can't rely on them to lose either. <laughs> so, so we are unreliable <laughs> losers. That is true. Uh, yeah, that like is true. I, like I'll go with Kilkenny because it's the only thing that makes any sort of logical sense. But you know, we could all be wrong. Murph. Uh, well, I'll, I might as well say Galway. Go for it, yeah. No one's going to hold no it against news. me come yeah, Monday. It's absolutely, there's, yeah, yeah. there's a no-lose situation. Listen, Michael Cabinet, thanks so much for talking to us. Maggie, thank you for coming in. Cheers. No problem, thanks. You can see the level of expectancy. Coach, this is the game you wanted a victory, boy. It didn't happen. What happened? Oh, that makes such an idiot. A game that they've been looking forward to for a long time. Where do you where do you think you got it all wrong today? And then Pepe just ruins it for everyone. Thanks a lot, Pepe. You can see the level of expectancy. He <laughs> was fucking dreadful. Sorry, huh? we're not we're out of here. Oh, we're not weak. We are. Well, I apologise for that, but obviously, it didn't exactly to win. All right. I think the Henry Shefflin point is fascinating to discuss this year, as it is every year to see whether a great player, and you made reference to Spain there, Murph, um, a reference I made before the show. So, mm. Uh, mm. first of all, you can. Well, I, 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 I failed to patent it, so you're probably all right to. <laughs> what take can it. I? What can I say on? I heard. I, mean, I heard those words coming. Out. I was, Hang on, is this not exactly the point I just made before well, the program? Yeah, well, I was just. I was afraid that you weren't going to get to it. That's mm, all. Sure. You know, yeah, the good of the show has point. to subsume. You know, any sort of egotistical. You know patents that you're putting on things but what Sheffield has been very good at doing over the years one of the things that he's been good at doing is coming back from injury mm. particularly in more recent seasons it was only last year it wasn't that he missed his first championship game he has had to give the league a skip on a number of occasions and you can miss whatever you want when you're Henry Sheffield if you're going to get to the right level in the middle of the summer and later on in the summer but it He's been quite good at it. Now, you wonder how often you can do that. I don't like the sound of this injury particularly. It's the same metatarsal as last year. And by all accounts, he just felt some pain in it after. The way these things are described, oh, yeah, no, I just felt a bit of pain after the league final. Put it in the moon boot for a couple of weeks. Back going now. Should Mm. be fine. And maybe that's... I'm not saying it's not true. Of course, it's true. But you worry if it's the same injury again and the player is at the age that he is. But he's been so good that maybe you just have to... Assume that he will uh, that yeah. he will perform, but I think it is true that the other players you can't rely on Shefflin as being the go-to guy. No, you have to rely on him at this stage for uh, uh, produce the odd moment of magic, work as hard as he can given the whatever physical capabilities he has this season. But you you really are looking at those other guys to actually do the main grunt work. Yeah, if you're if you're Owen Larkin or TJ Reid or you know any of the guys that are that have been in that attack for a long number of years now. 
you, it's nearly like a pride thing now. You know, you should nearly be saying, right, well, this, I can't, we can't be waiting on Shefflin now. We have to do this. And we have to do it while he's in the team because otherwise, you know, it, it'll just keep going, you know, and the the feeling inside the county and in hurling then will be that once Shefflin goes, it all falls apart. We actually have to show that there's a future beyond Shefflin with Shefflin in the team as we're doing it, I think. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's the challenge, you know. At the same time, these guys are playing with the greatest hurler of all time. And that's quite a that casts quite a shadow, I'm sure. You know, it does. But they have to man up. Also, uh, <laughs> I'm ordering the Kilkenny hurlers to man up here. Yeah. I can't believe I've just done that. But my point is that you never hear any whisper that Shefflin is too big for his boots, or that he's demand certain things, or that he wants to manage the team, even in the way that Messi is doing yeah. apparently for Argentina at the moment. And Messi himself seems to retain his popularity. So it seems pretty clear that Shefflin, they all have a huge amount of respect and and seem to like Shefflin. Um, so. There's no reason for them not to just take the bit of pressure off him. Yeah. As you say, while he's still there. But right now, it's time to head over to Fort Alete to find out what's coming up in Thursday's World Cup podcast. Yeah, you can laugh. That was the World Cup. Well, Ken, what's coming up? Oh, Alan, I can't wait. Spain. Spain are gone. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Why uh, the world champions have uh, mounted such a pitiful, disgraceful defense of their title and been sent packing. Well, they're actually still here. I mean, they do have to. They uh, they actually have a fixture to fulfill. Uh, But in terms of meaningful participation in the World Cup, it's all over for Spain. Uh, We're going to talk a bit about that, and we'll maybe look uh, ahead also to this uh, England game, which I think for you is tonight. For me, is this afternoon. Um, but still plenty of time left to speculate before we find out what actually happens in that one. Yeah, we'll have Richie Sadler in studio for that a little bit, Ken. But how, just briefly for now, how staggered were you by Spain and their uh, abject failure? Well, I just want to apologise to all the listeners out there. Uh, I systematically overestimated Spain. I underestimated Chile. I didn't see this coming at all. And yet when it happened, it all seemed... Of course this was going to happen. How could I not have seen this? Uh, how could I not have seen this one coming? So I, I just want to say sorry, you know. Sometimes in, in, our, in our professional uh, careers we all make mistakes. Just, um, I guess it's lucky for everyone I'm not an airline pilot. <laughs> Ken, we look forward to chatting to you a little later on. Actually then on. All right, now for the first time this World Cup, it's time for a little bit of this. That's right, you're a real Irishman. You get the potato I left in your dressing room there? You got the potatoes and the pudding. Huh? And the pudding. Oh, yeah, there you are. Born and bred, yeah, in uh, County Meath, a little place called Navin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jay Leto really is it. Uh, once every, maybe... Four times. Four times I hear that, I think. God. Shut up. Just his Shut answer to the, to the Pudgeen thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there you go. As yeah. in, I have no idea what you're talking about, what the hell Pudgeen is, but i got to <sighs> maintain control of this conversation. Anyway, Pierce Brosnan was the bigger man there, and he continues to be <laughs> the bigger, perhaps the biggest man. On, and he wants the world to know that he's got a very bad case of World Cup fever, and only your emails and tweets will help bring down his football temperature. So keep sending in your World Cup-themed P-Bezzle request to editor at secondcaptains.com, and we'll get through as many of them as we can. And on that note... Alan Maher has uh, emailed in, going to Brazil for the World Cup after years travelling around the globe. 
can you give a shout out to Cahill and Cuiva, who we are travelling with, who just got engaged? I'll try my best to get a hashtag be better with Luis Suarez at the Uruguay versus Costa Rica match. Uh, unfortunately, the silence from Alan has been deafening since this email was uh, sent. So I can only presume that you failed, Alan. You're a failure. Incredible, yeah, there's no point teasing us like that. Yeah, I know. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it. And if not, then get out of my life. Turn off your station. Yeah. Ronan Park was in LA and got his picture taken at Pierce's Stair on the Hollywood Boulevard Walk of Fame, which I'd say was class. Only someone else did it last year, so you know, <laughs> get with it. Uh, Kieran Boyle was stuck in work on his birthday, missing the games last week. But I've got hashtag second captains on my phone, so it's all good. Hashtag bezel, he says. Uh, that's from our New York super fan, Kieran. so uh, hello to you. Uh, hi, lads. Just listen to Thursday's podcast, emailing from Rio de Janeiro on Too Tired. He left out the, and emotional, I should say, to come up with anything witty. Here's a photo with some lo- locals in the Vigial Favela. Getting the diet ready for second round of the Cork County Championship in mid-July. Good man, Philip. I won't tell your manager you've been drinking if you don't. Uh, unless he listens to this uh, podcast. In which case, we're, we're screwed. But the winner of our sexy Pierce Brosnan merchandise this week is Kean McCarthy in Japan. Hey, own Ken and Murph. Left out the piano movers there. Good call. Uh, I've been living in the rural Japanese town of Fukui for a, tea, for a year now. And as well as getting up at all times during the night to watch Ireland, Leinster, Munster, Dublin and now the World Cup. I've been listening to the podcast every day on the way to work as a school teacher. Although my dedication has been rewarded recently with some great triumphs for Dublin and Ireland throughout the year. Nothing could possibly recompense falling asleep on my desk the morning after watching Ireland vs New Zealand due to ex- exhaustion and misery. As well as a hashtag PBezo shout out from you guys. Earlier I took a trip to a local temple to make a wish for the Dublin football team. As you can see in the attached photograph. I'm not really sure if the message Dublin Versab was appropriate for a Buddhist prayer message, but hopefully the monks will reward me and Dublin with a victorious summer. Maybe you guys could even go as far as rewarding me with the second captain's mug. Hint, hint. That, thanks for keeping me entertained and in the loop from 10,000 kilometres away. Thank you for listening, Kino. And remember, editor at secondcaptains.com or at secondcaptains on Twitter. And who knows, like Keen, you could get a second captain's mug in the post. Uh, we'll get to more of them next week. It's the World Cup, folks. I know you're watching around the world. Please tell us where and get involved. And with which celebrity, Murph? I really, really am disappointed with the lack of celebrity involvement. Usually inadvertent. Didn't we have Johnny Sexton a couple of weeks back? Johnny Sexton, Pierce Brosnan. Himself, uh, yeah. On a business card in Sorrento. Um, <laughs> we're impressed. We're blinded we're, by celebrity here. We're easily impressed by uh, by even just the faintest whiff of celebrity. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, please get involved. We have a st- editor at secondcaptains.com is that email. We have established earlier on that US Murph has been not just watching this World Cup, but he's been living and breathing this World Cup. So let's get to it. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three, call! Well, we're talking World Cup in our US sports slot this week. And Brian Murphy, my opening question to you is, has Joe Montana been supplanted as your all-time favorite sportsman by John Brooks? (laughs) That's a fantastic opener. Great to be back with you boys. Come on. 
How can, until John Brooks walks on water and turns water into wine, my friends, he will not supplant Joe Montana. But he's racing up, I'd say, as far as uh, those of us who pile on the World Cup bandwagon stateside every four years, I'd say he's cracked uh, the top uh, 750 U.S. sportsmen uh, of the time, somewhere around 732, somewhere like that. No, of course, he's... Very famous now. Of course, everybody had to immediately Google him and find out who the hell he was when he scored because nobody knew. And we found, of course, that he was born and raised in Germany. So that's just classic World Cup, isn't it, that he's uh, actually the son of an American serviceman but raised in Germany. And he uh, was Johnny on the spot, as they say, as the great another German, Jurgen Klinsmann, put him in. He was the, uh, in the 70 minute, 70th minute sub and became an American hero for scoring that goal to uh, give us that unexpected win in the group of death. And now, who knows? Who knows? With Portugal weakened, maybe those plucky Americans. I love all the stereotypes that come out that are true, that were full of grit and pluck and Rocky Balboa qualities uh, against on this world stage. And John Brooks uh, would be the latest hero to enter him. But, yeah, first substitute ever to score in U.S. World Cup soccer history. I love that stat. Now I just need to learn more about the kid before I can talk more authoritatively on him. Well, if you Wikipedia, if you Google him and that brought you to Wikipedia, within two minutes of the goal going in, uh, it read uh, John Brooks, American uh, footballer and the greatest American since Abraham Lincoln. So someone was extremely quick on the Wikipedia badwagon there. You think passion has overtaken uh, American World Cup parties? Yeah. yeah, Abe Lincoln, John Brooks. You know, when Spielberg makes, when Daniel Day Lewis plays John Brooks in a movie, then we'll know he's arrived. <laughs> all right, Brian. When the you talked about the qualities there, the cliched qualities of this American team, but also that they're true, this grit and determination. The fact it's not a, a matter of scoring a late goal. I think it's when you're leading a game from so early on, and then you can see the sucker punch of an equaliser coming back from that is almost doubly difficult. Is that the kind of thing we know how American sports fans like their sports stars with a bit of charisma and a bit of flamboyance? But I, I get the sense that you guys like a little bit of pluck and courage as well. It's true. I mean, I, I wonder. You know, certainly the Irish soccer team I associate with the Jack Charlton years. I associate them with being very tough-minded and very, uh, you know, I just had occasion to uh, re-watch some of the 94 win over Italy, the one nothing win, the legendary win at the Meadowlands. And that, to me, was like an American-style win, kind of, you know, stunning. And, and the way you guys took care of Baggio with McGraw, you know, just laying his body out all over the place. Kind of the same thing, if you guys can relate to that. It's funny, I wonder, I don't think Americans have cornered the market on grit or toughness or comeback abilities. We certainly like to talk about it as much as anybody, and I'm sure that makes a lot of countries around the world roll their eyes because I'm sure they all, too, want to believe that they have comeback abilities and they have toughness and they like Rocky Balboa, too, to take on Apollo Creed or Hoosiers to be the little school. It just seems like America, we seem to market it more than anybody. We really like to think of ourselves as this, you know, it, it, it gets to the very roots of our culture that we truly believe, and whether or not the rest of the world agrees, we truly believe that we are this self-made nation 
that kind of came from nothing. You know, of course, we'll conveniently ignore everything about the Native Americans who are here and all this, all the stuff that goes on wrong with the country. And the positive stereotype is that in America, you can be anything you want to be, and you can build yourself up from your boots, pull yourself up from your bootstraps, and you can be born into poverty and become a billionaire. You know, and like any number of uh, American successful businessmen who have come out of, uh, you know, Citizen Kane, you can lose your uh, your rosebud, your sled, and then live in a giant castle by the end. So all these things that we Americans like to believe about ourselves, every now and then we can puff out our chest and say, see, it's true. And American soccer would be the one. I mean, because, you know, we've talked about this before, and I've talked about it on our show. It's so rare for Americans to be the underdogs in anything. Usually we're the bullies. We're invading Iraq. We're uh, ruining somebody's economy. We're, you know, we're imperialist Yankees uh, invading another country for resources. All the bad things that superpowers do, it's so rare for us to be able to be the gritty underdogs. And that's truly in soccer what we are. I mean, come on, Germany and Italy and Brazil and Argentina, they'll run us off the pitch, man. We got no chance to hang with those guys. But we do have heart and we do have determination. And it is true. I mean, Jurgen Klinsmann said it. He said the American side always plays with a spirit. And whether it was beating England in 1950, you know, which we did in the World Cup, or the 1980 U.S. hockey team, we do have a number of great little gritty things that we can always point to. So that's the positive stereotype of our culture that we like to believe in, and that's what we like to believe we saw in the win over Ghana. Yeah, and you were the underdog in a game against a country that I I saw in the run-up to the game actually had to uh, ration out the electricity in the country for this power surge that would inevitably come when the entire country tuned in to watch the game on television. So they they actually had to buy electricity from uh, a couple of neighboring countries I think they get like they get all their power from like hydroelectric dams and there's well, like droughts in the country. Well, I didn't say we were the economic underdog. Yeah, but, but we that's, were the yeah, that's we the amazing the thing about the World Cup. You know that like a country like the USA can actually be an underdog even against a country like Ghana. That's the crazy, brilliant thing about it. Well, don't, guys, correct me if I'm wrong. And again, now we're getting into my uh, you know American football knowledge here. Uh, that is, but doesn't Ghana have a lot of players who play on premier teams in European leagues? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Juventus, AC Milan. Uh, guy who got a load of goals in the World Cup last year. I mean, yeah, who has played for Chelsea. Lots of lots of top clubs. Yeah, right. So I mean, so athletically, we are the underdog for sure in that match. I mean, you could even see it. I don't know if you guys watched the U.S. Ghana match, but I don't think there's any question that Ghana was the more skilled team. No question, <laughs> they were running up and down the pitch. And I mean, that's amazing that we could pull off a two-one win against a team that was clearly more skilled. And then, of course, we lose. Maybe one of our only skilled players, Josie Altador, goes down with a hamstring, causing everybody to panic again, say, see, where's Landon Donovan, and uh, how could he have gone in? Although people who know soccer better than I do say that Donovan's a different style of player than Altador and wasn't exactly, wouldn't have exactly, it wasn't, it wasn't apples to oranges comparison. But sure, we were the athletic underdog. We may have better hydroelectric system than Ghana, but, uh, you know, <laughs> they can kick a ball better and more efficiently than we can. Well, Landon Donovan was back on punditry duty for ESPN as far as I know I certainly heard before the World Cup that he's going to be signed up I see almost 16 million viewers watch this Brian between ESPN which had around 11 million viewers and a Spanish speaking station Univision another 5 million or so there 16 million sounds like a, a reasonable amount of people to watch any sporting event it's a hit. Guys, I'm telling you, it's a hit. And it was only going to get bigger if we beat Portugal or draw with Portugal and somehow advanced out of the group of death. Now, uh, you know, 
Klinsman got so much fame and, and infamy for saying before the match, I mean, before the cup, that there was no way we could win it. And he came under great criticism from many people saying, now that's un-American. We got to believe that we can do whatever we want. But let's be honest. I mean, he was, he was either, either he was trying to motivate his troops or he made a, a verbal mistake, but he was accurate. I mean, there was a point in that Ghana match when they equalized in the 82nd minute where you thought, well, yeah, I mean, and they're going to win this game. We'd be lucky to get away with a draw. And, Klins- and now you see what Klinsman was talking about. Because if Ghana is the weakest of this group with Portugal and Germany, look, we can't even hang with these guys. Now, who knows what Portugal is going to bring to the table? They might be one of those. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like every four years some European team goes and lays an egg, <laughs> whether it was Italy four years ago or France. Remember France had an awful cup? Yeah, that was four maybe, years ago. Yeah, maybe Portugal's going to be that team this year. Or Spain, for example, right, who had that terrible start against Holland. So maybe Portugal will be that team. Maybe we will advance. But it's a hit, getting back to your point about the, uh, the TV ratings. And this has happened before now. Now, not to kind of overstate what we're doing here, the U.S. has advanced before. We had, in fact, we even got to the quarterfinals, I believe, in 1994 when we hosted it and took on Brazil on the 4th of July at, uh, at Stanford, famously. And uh, we also got to the round of 16 last year um, in 2010 in the Cup in South Africa. So we have advanced from the group of death before. I think in 2002, too, we also beat Mexico. Uh, I'm confusing my years a little bit. But with three different times, I think, in the last 20 years, the U.S. has advanced from the group of de- or their group stage. So I don't want to overstate what they're doing here, but it just seems like with each, you know, with each passing of four years, there's more and more... Uh, attention, more and more eyeballs, more and more this and that. And just quickly, do a quick little bit of research, guys. The 16 million watching is basically the same as uh, and bigger than a lot of the Baseball World Series ratings we've been getting lately. Yeah. The Baseball World Series has been in a tailspin lately, and they're only getting about 14, 15 million um, of, of, of viewership. So you're talking about one World Cup game equaling a World Series game, and that tells you a lot right there. Yeah, and the Stanley Cup Finals, I actually just uh, Googled it here myself as well. Stanley Cup Finals attracted 6 million TV viewers, and the final game of the NBA Finals attracted 17.9, which is you know less than just 2 million more than the, the first game in a U.S. Uh, soccer World Cup, which is pretty impressive. Far more important than how many people are watching, though, is how important are the people who are watching, Brian? This is what sport is all about. Who's jumping on the bandwagon? We saw Joe <laughs> Biden at the game. We hear that Leonardo DiCaprio was there. So you have Hollywood royalty. You've got the top politicians. You got it. And even Obama. Now, Obama's doing this new thing. He sends out these little Vine videos. You guys are doing Vines over there the last year or two, right? So he sent out a little Vine from the White House saying, go Team USA, show them what we're made of. And that, of course, hit the web that Obama was vining from the Oval Office. So you got Biden and you got DiCaprio. And boy, DiCaprio, boy. He he really wins, doesn't he? You hear about the yacht he rented and all that, the the two-day party he had. What, in in, in Brazil? Yes. No, apparently. You guys want to do a little noodling around? I'm always pointing you guys to great links, right? Yeah. Leo DiCaprio apparently uh, was, was in charge of a two-day bash on a yacht <laughs> in Brazil that was filled with nothing but the world's most beautiful people, most of them female. <laughs> so uh, Leo, once again, Leo reminding that he wins and you don't. All right? So, <laughs> it's what the World <laughs> Cup is all about, really, isn't it? <laughs> Leo, Leo DiCaprio's happiness, that's what it's Sleezing all about. Sleezing out as many women as possible, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. So fair play. You know, it's funny. I'm trying to think of other great celebrities. You know, we haven't, maybe as this continues, well, I should tell you this, that, you know, when, when the U.S. did win that game against Ghana, you had sports stars like LeBron James, fresh off his NBA Finals sting, sending out uh, exclamation point-laden tweets about the U.S. Michael Phelps, of course, the great Olympic swimmer, 
He sent out his exclamation point laden tweet. So you got LeBron, you got Phelps, you got DiCaprio, you got Biden, you got Obama vining. Yeah, and it's only going to grow, guys, if the success continues. Brian, talk to us briefly about uh, LeBron and his. Uh, fresh, forget about LeBron. I'm always asking about LeBron James, the Miami Heat. We really need to laud <laughs> the greatest basketball team of all time, the San Antonio Spurs, who crushed LeBron, the Big Three, and the rest of the Miami Heat organization. I mean, what a performance. It finally took this. I think, for the Spurs ship to finally come in in the public consciousness. I think that's what the biggest story was, was that most of the reaction, while some of it was on LeBron and the Heat and the Big Three, I would say the majority of it was a real stand-back, long-awaited standing ovation for Popovich and Duncan for their fifth ring and for their sustained excellence and for their ability to take last year's punch now, don't forget, I mean, you know, we, we know the Heat won the title last year, but we forget how, or some of us forget how, the Spurs were up three games to two and had a five-point lead with 30 seconds to go in game six. Think about that. They had their title in the grasp. They would have knocked LeBron off. He would have had just one title in three years. Ray Allen hit the three-pointer that I consider the biggest shot in the history of the NBA Finals that forced Game 6 into overtime, and the Spurs wound up losing that game. And then despite a very competitive Game 7, the, the uh, Heat won that. So LeBron got his second title in a row. We all talked about where he placed his place in history. Well, think about it from San Antonio's side. They, they sat on that for a year, and they got a year older, and Duncan got a year older, and Ginobili got a year older, and Parker got a year older, and they were considered old to begin with. And what happened? They came back had the best record in the NBA, got home court advantage, somehow fought off Kevin Durant and the, the MVP and the Oklahoma City Thunder in seven epic games, got their shot at LeBron again. I mean, I joke about this a lot and said it out on Twitter, but for the Princess Bride, this was very Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepared to die, revenge, <laughs> fantasy, or how often in life do you get that chance again to make that clean vengeance and then to cash in on it, and to cash in on it in historic fashion with four wins of 15 points or more in each game, a record in the history of the NBA Finals. No team had ever won all four games by 15 points or more against LeBron James. Wow. Wow. So that's why the standing ovation was coast to coast, north to south, east to west. We were talking about Popovich goes on your Mount Rushmore, maybe of one of the four greatest coaches in the history of the NBA. Red Auerbach, Phil Jackson, Pat Riley, Popovich, I think, would have to be your, your – your, and Popovich makes that spot now. He, he becomes one of the greatest – I mean, he already was, but now he really has that evidence, that dossier, that, that resume to make him one of the greatest of all time. So it's really been fun to appreciate him, appreciate what they did with their chance, appreciate Duncan, and, and it's not just Duncan, Parker, and Ginobili, the new kid, Kawhi Leonard out of San Diego State, who Duncan uh, – Popovich had the eye to draft him – and had the coaching ability to make this guy into the defender that he didn't neutralize LeBron, but he hassled LeBron enough that Miami never got into a flow. Plus, he delivered on the offensive end, led him in the final game with 22-10, and 10, and he gets the MVP, third youngest player in the history of the NBA. So it's just plaudits all around. I think everybody just appreciates what the Spurs are all about, appreciates what Popovich is all about, and appreciates what they accomplished. Brian, we'll let you go. Nate Silver has crunched the numbers, by the way, in the World Cup. as That's kind of his job, I guess. But uh, he's given the U.S. a 63.1% chance of going through. So we'll leave you on that positive note. Thanks for but talking. But you know what, though? Yeah. If American optimism crunched the numbers, it would be 100%, guys. <laughs> 100%. All right. Brian, take care. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Talk to you later.
I just want to go back on something that we allowed past there without remarking upon it, Perth. And that was a. <laughs> Did Brian say that he had been dusting off his old US 94 tapes to watch Ireland against Italy at Giant Stadium? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, well, I mean, that's I'm, that, it's probably not a VHS tip. I mean, a lot of that's on the internet. You know, I, well, I hope, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe just to get really into the spirit of things, he dusted down the old VHS recorder, took mm. out his tapes. Of course, different formats. It have to have been the US coverage because, you know, back when the VHS days, the US had, US had a different size VHS. Sure. Well, they still have a different region in DVDs. What's DVDs? That? Listen to me talking about DVDs. What's the, As though they're the, <laughs> the new the last word. Yeah. Well, what's that all about? Well, I, I don't what, understand yeah. it. You know? I mean, it's one world. You know, we're all sitting down watching the same World Cup. Why can't we all sit down and watch the same DVDs on the same DVD players? Something for you to think about. Is it okay to have a go at, for me to have a go at Barack Obama? Do they, yeah, do they, yeah, go for it. I'm sure some sort of, some sort of surveillance on any mention of Obama. Don't worry, don't worry, you're probably right. on a list somewhere anyway. Well, his vine, his good luck message to the US soccer team was lame. It looked lame. It, it was, was badly lame. shot. Go US. And you got to remember, Barack Obama's a big sports fan. I can imagine if he was wishing the Spurs well in the basketball, it would have been a lot of detail packed in, a lot of passion yep. to that seven seconds. The US men's soccer team good luck message was just don't bother, President. If you're not going to put your heart and soul into it. Just mention anyone. I mean, like, you know, we've set the bar historically low here for you, Barack. All you have to do is just say something like about Jurgen Klinsmann or about Kyle Beckerman. You know, you could have slagged off Kyle Beckerman's hair. Everyone would have thought you're the great lad. <laughs> but instead, it's like, go get him, US men's national team. Let's, come on. Murph, very shortly after we finish recording here, which we're about to do right now, we're going to get set with Ken and get a World Cup podcast out later on because there's so much to talk about there. Hopefully you've enjoyed this one. You can listen to any of our shows on SoundCloud, on the Podcast Republic app for Androids. Murph, thank you. Thank you, Owen. Thank you very much for listening and putting up with my terrible outro to this programme. We'll talk to you a little bit later on with Ken Erdy's World Cup podcast. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 